We like things that feel new and shiny. But at first, when you get something new, it's like, man, this is great. This is, oh. But then after a while, pfft. It's like that first new car you ever bought. I remember my father bought a new car. I said, Dad, can I drive your car? No. I said, Dad, can I? No. After a year or so, when it got dense in the deck, oh, sure, here are the keys. And for many of us, our relationship with God begins to resemble that old car. Jesus coming to the doors, he's basically saying, I need you to recapture. I need the love that you first had for me when you first believed. I need that to be restored. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. It's easy to forget that feeling you once had for God when you first believed. And this week, Charles Tapp offers a beautiful picture of what God has in store for those who are faithful. As he continues with part 11 of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation with his message, Imagine Heaven. In today's message, our focus will be on what many commentators refer to as the heart of the book of Revelation. For it is in chapter four where John's focus now shifts from the earth where he's focused on the condition as well as the counsel that has been given to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And now he makes a shift to the realities of heaven. But before we plunge into Revelation chapter 4, I want us to take a look back at what I believe is the springboard passage for all of the remaining chapters in the book of Revelation. So I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3 as we look at verses 20 and verse 21. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and what am I doing? And knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus says, and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, underline that word or highlight that word, depending on what device you have. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. These words, as we know, were given to the church at Laodicea. A church, by the way, that received no word of commendation, but only received word of rebuke. Those words of rebuke were simply that they were neither cold nor were they hot. And because they were neither cold nor hot, Jesus simply says to them, you are good for nothing. But in order to understand the magnitude of of Jesus' words here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, they must first be juxtaposed against those given to the church at Philadelphia. By the way, a church who was known for its great love. 
For it is in his introduction to the believers at Philadelphia that Jesus is introduced as the one who has the key of David and is able to open the doors. Referring back to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. And when God is able to open a door, it is always a door that no one else can shut. And when God shuts a door, it is one that cannot be opened. And the symbolism here is having the key of David. Whoever had the key of the king had access to the storehouse and everything that was in the king's storehouse. And it is to this church that Jesus presents himself as the one who has the power and authority to open any door. And as I said, whatever door God opens, no man can shut it. And when God shuts a door, you are wasting your time trying to open it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But what is this so special? Why is this so special? What is so unique about this door in Jesus' message to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20? Why is it that to the believers at Philadelphia, Jesus presents himself as one who can open any door, one who has the key to any door? But when it comes to his words to the believers at Laodicea, we see Jesus here in a somewhat weakened position. For, please don't miss this, here is a door that Jesus cannot open. And instead of him trying to open it, we find Jesus being limited to the same manner that you and I are, and that is by knocking at it, waiting for somebody to come and open the door. Of course, we recognize these words in Revelation 3.20. As Jesus appealed to his church, his church then and his church today, to allow him to have unrestricted access to our lives. In essence, it is Jesus' invitation that he gives to us to come and establish intimate relationship with him. In essence, especially to the church of Laodicea. Back then in the first century and the Laodicean church today in which you and I are a part of, it is the invitation to recapture. It is the invitation to revive. It is the invitation to renew the love that we first had for God when we first believed. And if we're really going to be honest today, and this is God's house, so we really need to be honest. Do we still have the same zeal and the same passion that we did for God when we first had the relationship with God? It's like when you buy a new car, and I've never bought a new car in my life. It's been new for me, amen? But not brand spanking new. But when you get something new, whether it's a car, whether it's a television, aren't you excited at first? You get that new car smell. Now you can actually go to the store and buy a little, a little tube, and you can spray it in your car. It's called new car smell. But at first, when you get something new, it's like, man, this is great. This is, oh. But then after a while, pff, I remember my father bought a new car, 
I said, Dad, can I drive your car? No. I said, Dad, can I? No. After a year or so, when it got dense in the deck, oh, sure, here are the keys. Matter of fact, he even came and borrowed my car one day. This knock, this Jesus coming to the doors, he's basically saying, I need you to recapture. I need the love that you first had for me when you first believed. I need that to be restored. I need it to be alive. But what I really want us to take from this passage today is that here is Jesus. Although he already said to the church of Philadelphia, I've got the key of David in my hand. I can open any door except this one. This is the one door that Jesus cannot open. And the reason why he cannot open this door, Revelation 3 verse 20, is because this is the door to our hearts and only you and only I can open that door for it is a door that leads to our will it is a door that leads to our power of choice it is a door that leads to our power to accept or reject and it is a door God himself will never force open The only way it can be opened is if you and I grant him permission once we open that door and he can come in. I love what the Christian apologist author C.S. Lewis has to say about this point. He says, this is the greatest miracle on earth, that God would create something that could reject him. Think about that for a moment. God in all of his sovereignty, God in all of his omnipotence chose to create something, humankind, that had the power to close a door and not even God himself could open that door. And in essence, by creating humankind in his image, he gave them the right to keep that door shut and deny him access no matter how much he desired to open that door and to come in. But here's why this part of Revelation, dear friends, is so important. Because in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, whoever overcomes, God would allow them to sit with him on his throne. The only way you and I can become overcomers in this life is if we are willing to open the door to our hearts and allow Jesus Christ to have full, unrestrained access to our lives. The access that he desires to have and the access that he deserves to have. In other words, you and I become overcomers when we allow the kingdom of God to become a part of our lives so that he can have dominion, so that his will can be done and not our will can be done. Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Just keep your little marker there in Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 1. It says, after these things, meaning the things that were written to the seven churches, Asia Minor. After these things, I looked and behold, what? A door standing how? 
opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things you must, which must take place rather after this. John sees in this vision a door, a door that leads to the throne room of God. Please don't miss this. It is not closed. It is an open door. It is a place, by the way, that only overcomers would be allowed to have access. John makes it clear that the only way we will be able to gain access to the open door of heaven is if we are willing to allow Jesus Christ access to the door of our hearts. That's why Revelation chapter 3 20 and 21 is the springboard passage for everything else that is to occur because now we're in the throne room of God. But John reminds us, if you want to get through this open door, you must first open the door to your heart and give God full unrestrained access. Why? Because this is one door that he will never force open. Sometimes I wish he would. And I was pastoring in Elmira. Anybody know Elmira, New York? You, you know of it? Elmira was noted mainly for its prison. That was the first place I passed it once I left college. Brand new church. I was their first pastor. They're still there. So I guess I didn't do too poorly. And we have having this grand celebration. We had just started this brand new church. And I, my, my district pastor was coming that day. And we were, we were renting from a Salvation Army. That's why whenever I see them outdoors during the holidays with the kettle, I always put something in the, in the kettle. Because they let us rent that facility for $150 a month. But this particular day, as I drove up to the Salvation Army, this beautiful chapel inside, I saw all of my 62 members standing outside. And I'm going, why don't they go inside? I got out of my car and I asked them, what's going on? Well, pastor, the door is locked. The representative who normally comes to open the door didn't show up today and we can't get in. And you know what I'm thinking. My district pastor is coming. What, what kind of image is that to present that this young pastor has all of his members standing outdoors? They can't even get in to worship this big celebration that we're having. But I said, you know what? I used to live in New York. Some of you are already there and beyond. I said, I, I, I lived in New York for 11 years. I, I said, hold on, saints. And I walked to the back of the building. I can't make this stuff up. And I was looking for a window that maybe just was cracked open. And I finally found one. And I, and I did a little thing. I'm not going to tell you what I did. But I did something. And I was able to get the window up. So I took my jacket off and I climbed through the window. And I saw a door and I tried to open it, but it was locked. So I, I'm from New York. So I, I found an object and I took the hinges off the door, moved the door to the side, walked into the chapel, opened the door for the saints. They all came in. My district leader never knew what happened. I was determined I was going to open that door. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Imagine Heaven. 
And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. Starting 91.9, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp helps remind you of the incredible love God has for you and all that he asks for in return. As he continues with his message, imagine heaven. But when it comes to the door of our hearts, God will never force his way in. He will only knock, and he knocks in many different ways. Sometimes he knocks in a still small voice. Sometimes he knocks through a text that you get from a friend. Other times he knocks because you're listening to something on the radio. You're listening to a song in church. Somebody gives you counsel. A parent gives you counsel, young person. And they're knocking. God is knocking at your heart's door, and he's not going to force it open. One of the greatest compliments one of our children paid to us the other day was, Dad, I'm so glad for the counsel you gave me when I was younger. Now, they didn't follow all of it, but neither did I. Amen? And neither did you. God knocks at our heart's door. It is the one door that he will not force open. He has to stand outside and knock. Have you seen that famous picture of Christ standing outside the door knocking? Have you ever noticed there's no handle on the door? There's no knob that symbolizes that he can't open it unless we open it from the other side. This is the Christ presented to the church of Philadelphia that says, I've got the key of David. I can open any door I want except this one. And that's why when you hear the Spirit of God knocking at your heart's door, you need to open that door in and let him in. Who says amen to that today? Let's go to Revelation chapter 4 again. Let's look at verses 2 to 5 this time. Immediately, again, this is John speaking. I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. We'll talk about more, more about that in a minute. In appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were what? 24 elders. And on the throne I saw 24 elders clothed in white robes. And they had what? Crowns of gold on their head. Verse 5. And from the throne, God's throne, proceeded, what, lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, which are not literally talking about seven literal spirits, but they're symbolic of the fullness 
of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's take a look at this. John sees the throne of God and one sitting on the throne. The throne of God is symbolic of God's sovereignty. It is symbolic of God's power. It is symbolic of God's authority. And this image of, of someone sitting on the throne is the ancient image of a ruler who once he sat on the throne, at that moment he is saying to everyone, I have all power. This image is important. For as you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that in 16 out of the 22 chapters, it talks about the throne of God. And the message here in Revelation is clear. That God is exercising, he's about to exercise his power and authority over heaven and over the earth. And those radiant stones that John say that he saw was simply the glory that surrounded the throne of God. It is the same glory that Ezekiel sees in Ezekiel chapter 1, but he refers to it as the glory of a sapphire stone. But then John says, I see a rainbow. The rainbow is symbolic of the covenant of God. Amen. And we talk about the covenant of God. What are we really talking about? We are talking about God and his faithfulness. Please don't miss this. What is John seeing? God sitting on a throne, exercising his power, exercising his might, exercising his authority. And he is a God that is faithful. He is a God that will keep his word. But here's the thing about a faithful God. A faithful God is in search of a faithful people. Remember the story of the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8? And he ends in verse 8 by saying, when the Son of Man comes, what? Will he find faith on the earth? This rainbow is symbolic that God is not only powerful, that God is not only sovereign, God is faithful. And a faithful God is in search of a faithful people. He is not in search of a perfect people. Because if he were, you and I could not make the bill. But he's in search of a faithful people. And as we've already learned throughout the book of Revelation, he's talking about a people who will not compromise regardless of the pressure that comes from without or even sometimes the pressure that comes from within to compromise the will and the way of God. Then John says, I see 24 thrones and 24 elders on this throne. Now, Revelation really doesn't definitively tell us who these 24 elders are, but it does give us a few clues who they might be. And I want to share three of those clues with you today. The first is that on these 24 thrones, John says, are sitting 24 elders. Now remember these thrones, the throne of God is only reserved for those who open the door and let Jesus in. So he must be talking about the faithful. Clue number two, they were wearing what? White robes representing that they have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and they are no longer walking in their righteousness, but now they are wearing the righteousness 
of God. And then thirdly, and I love this part, John says they were all wearing golden crowns. And if you remember, maybe in part two or part three of this series, I talked to you about the crowns that it referred to in the book of Revelation. And there are two words in the Greek for crown. One is the word diadema, which is referencing the royal crown that a king would wear. That's not this crown. This is the word Stephanos. It is the crown that they would wear in a race if they won. It is the crown of victory. So these 24 elders, whoever they are, they are faithful, they are redeemed, and they have been what? Victorious. And they are allowed to wear the crown of victory. These represent the redeemed. Some even believe that they might be those who were risen when Christ went back to heaven. It it talks about in Matthew chapter 27, he called them what? The first fruits that were raised with him. These 24 elders that John was allowed to see is God's way of saying to his people that in heaven there is a place for those who are faithful. And if you and I allow God to have first place in our lives, then we can be part of that group. And for the most part, when you read Revelation chapter 4, that's what it's all about. It is about the people of God who remain faithful, thereby having access to the throne of God because we have given God the place that he desires and he deserves to have in our lives. It's almost like these 24 elders represent a down payment to let us know that there's a place for us too. And all we have to do is remain faithful. All we have to do is accept the righteousness of Christ and not our own. And we can be victorious in Jesus. Let's look at verses 6 and 8. Revelation 4 verses 6 to 8. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 5, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. When we get to part 5, we were really delve into that. We really don't have time today, but look at verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying what? Holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This chapter 4, especially 4 and onward, it is about the worship of God, the worship of the faithful of their God. And if you and I want to worship God, then we've got to begin in worshiping God today. But look at what it says in verses 9 and 11 of Revelation chapter 4. It says, these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Then, I love this part, talking about the 24 elders again. Then the 24 elders bow down before the one who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Then they put their crowns down before the throne and say, verse 11, you are worthy, 
our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power because you made all things. Everything existed and was made because you wanted it. Please don't miss this. I've heard some atheists or some non-believers say, your God, the God you serve, sounds like he's an egomaniac. He just wants to be worshipped, worshipped. You got the 24 elders bowing down, taking off their crowns, laying them at the feet of this God. Who wants to serve a God like that? But here's the thing. Nobody's forcing these 24 elders to take off their crowns. These 24 elders represent the faithful. They represent the redeemed. And if you have a people that are redeemed, it must mean there's a redeemer. The redeemed say, I wish I could do more. But this crown that I have, it doesn't belong to me. I'm going to put it at the feet of Jesus. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Imagine Heaven. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. It has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the death, the burial, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp continues with part 12 of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation, with his message, signed, sealed, delivered. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.